Welcome back to a Basketball Boise Buckeye Talk, the final Basketball Buckeye Talk for now. Not forever. Not forever. Not forever, but for now. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis from Cleveland.com. Ohio State's basketball season is over, and Bill and I are going to look back on this Chris Holtman inaugural season and also look ahead with a bunch of questions you guys have. Of course, you can read everything Bill has written and will be writing about this basketball team at cleveland.com slash OSU. Bill, in the end, 25-9, and second-round NCAA tournament exit. What is your overall grade mm. for this Ohio State basketball season? A. Like, not even a, not a doubt in my mind that it's an A. Because I think the expectations before the season, while they were incredibly wrong, were fair. Um, maybe not 11th in the Big Ten or whatever it was. Clearly there was some talent on this roster, but no one thought this was a team that was capable of contending for the Big Ten or making the NCAA tournament. Um, they did both. They won a tournament game. Um, disappointing Big Ten tournament appearance aside, um, I give this season an A all around. Um, coaching staff handling a new situation, player development, guys stepping up into bigger roles and, and handling them well. Um, I don't. I don't know. Like I don't. I don't know where the where the holes are that you would that would poke in this season and give it anything less than an A. Okay, people like the future right now in this moment predict Ohio State's record next season and how far they'll go in the tournament. Because everybody wants the future, baby. Yeah. Uh, next year's weird. Twenty Big Ten games starting next year. What? Yeah. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Twenty. Twenty, 20 Big Ten games starting next year. So only eleven non-conference games. Uh, not all of them are set, but Ohio State will open the season at Cincinnati in a brand, what? in a brand new arena. I gotta figure out more about Ohio State basketball. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, they're playing twenty Big Ten games and they're opening the season against Cincinnati. Yes, on like a Tuesday, I think. In Cincinnati? At yeah, so Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati played at Northern Kentucky this year because their home arena was being renovated. So what? Reopening their home arena. On the first day, first day of allowable competition next year, which I believe is now a Tuesday and not a Friday, um, and they'll be hosting Ohio State. That's exciting! Yeah. Wow, I'm excited. Cincinnati coming off. That'll be Cincinnati's first game since the most horrific <laughs> loss in Cincinnati basketball history. Yeah. Yeah, I think they'll be geared up. I'm assuming Mick Cronin will still be the coach. I'm assuming they'll still have a program that they're not going to disband in the offseason yeah. after blowing a 20-point lead to Nevada yeah. in a wide-open bracket. They might have got, they they had a path to the national title game. They're in the Virginia region, right? They're in the Virginia region on the side with Xavier and Gonzaga. Like the, 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 the high, so that whole yeah, side of the whole bracket. Side of the bracket. Yeah. The the highest in that region in the South region highest seed left is a five, but that whole side of the bracket the highest seed left is Michigan at three, right? And okay. Gonzaga at four. Yeah. Cincinnati would have been a two. They would have had a path to the national title game, and they blew it. So so who had a better season, Ohio State basketball or Cincinnati? Because Cincinnati had a great year, got a two seed, but finished it with a crushing, devastating loss. Which season would you take? I mean, relative to expectations, certainly Ohio State's. But if you in a it's vacuum, because it's not like because it's not like like Cincinnati didn't win didn't win, or no, it did win its conference tournament, right? It beat Houston in that championship game. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So maybe like that's the thing that Cincinnati has, I suppose. I don't know how many total wins Cincinnati ended up with, um, but I think I would still take Ohio State's. 
if isn't you it, are isn't in it a much, vacuum, isn't it much more fun to like get blown away by a team performing well above expectations than to have a team just kind of like meet them and then in the end flame out? Cincinnati went thirty-one and five. Won the American Athletic Conference regular season and tournament, thirty-one and five. It's pretty good. After they were thirty and six the year before, but they ended it like that. They are not going to get over that for a long time. Like, yeah. what would you, as a fan, as a fan? I'll I'll tweet the question out right now. As a fan in a vacuum, would you rather go twenty-five and nine? finish second in your conference, be a five seed in the NCAA tournament, and lose a game to a four in like a good competitive game? Or would you rather be Cincinnati, go 31-5, and five, win your conference, get a two seed, and then finish your season with the most devastating lost, loss in program history? I would probably, I would choose Ohio State's, um, although I am, I'm a, a pretty big proponent of like the randomness of the NCAA tournament not defining your season. Um, How about but, the randomness of... But that doesn't. that's not true across the board. Like, it's not true for Virginia. Um, and I don't think it's true in this case. Uh, like if you were a 30-win team and you had that big of a lead against Nevada in the NCAA tournament, and then like given how the field has, has opened up in front of you, yeah, I would rather be in Ohio State situation. And the thing is, Virginia never had a 20-point lead over UMBC. Oh, they got their bus kicked. Wow. Okay, we can talk about this. We'll we'll get into this a little bit. I was actually in Las Vegas for the first two days of the NCAA tournament, so I watched that Virginia UMBC game in a sports book in Las Vegas, um, which was just wild to watch. They have these in-game betting lines, and that was a twenty-point. They were a twenty and a half-point favorite, and then at, like at halftime, they were a pick'em, and then they started being like in the, in the like early in the second half, you could get like Virginia plus eight. And it's like, well, they're okay. They're down like fourteen, but it's like they're eventually going to come back. You, you you're going to get the number one overall seed in the tournament plus eight against a sixteen, and then they just kept getting farther and farther <laughs> and farther behind. Did you watch that game, by the way? Yeah, I was watching the hotel. Did room. not UMB, UMBC was just better. Yeah, they were just a, an actual better basketball team that day. When it was like hovering around eight and twelve, because I was thinking of texting my brothers, like, "Are you watching this?" Because I thought there was a, a chance that they weren't, but I was like, uh... It's only 12. There's still like six minutes left. They're going to come back. Virginia's going to come back and win, but maybe it'll be an exciting ending. And then it was like, oh, they're up 20. And Virginia looks like they quit like an hour ago. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Tony Bennett, I saw Tony Bennett. I didn't want to hear what he said because I don't care what he said. Everybody was like, oh, such class he exhibited. Listen to this post game interview. I don't, did they ever show him yelling at his team? Every time I saw him on the sideline, he was just like smugly smirking about like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Sometimes a 16 <laughs> seed's got your number. It was like, yell at someone! Yeah, no. He Coach looked, of the year. He looked borderline like amused by what was happening. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. I'm not saying I would fire Tony Bennett for that loss. I'm just saying you could fire Tony Bennett for that loss. Um Wow, so Ohio State opens next year with Cincinnati, and then what else do they have that we know they have? And are they in one of these little four-team tournaments again? Uh, no, not at the moment. I, I I would be surprised if they got into one this year. So they'll open at Cincinnati. Um, they'll play a Big Ten ACC Challenge game, likely on the road because they were home this year. Who? I have a nomination. Who? Virginia. <laughs> well, they played at, they played at Virginia two years ago, oh, or true. no? Yeah, two years ago. Um, 
They'll play that. I think they, they don't have to play in one of the Gavit tip-off games against the Big East team, but I think they will because they didn't play in one last year, and they have to play in it three of the next four years. Okay. Um, so I think they'll play one of those games this year. Um, they will play UCLA in the CBS Sports Classic, which is back in Chicago. Yeah, that's okay. That's what I meant, but that's the four-team thing. Oh, so sorry. I thought I thought you meant like a like a like Vegas tournament. But they're or still doing that. Yeah, the the U, it's so this year they, it's weird. So when Ohio State played Carolina, then Kentucky, then UCLA, and then it, like they recycled it and they played Carolina again this season, and now but they're switching it up, and it's not Kentucky; it's UCLA this year. So they're playing UCLA twice in three years. Okay, and that one's where. This year it's in Chicago. In Chicago. Back in where it started, back in Chicago. Okay. So they have UCLA, Cincinnati, an ACC game, and maybe a Big East game. Yeah. And and, and they're only playing 11. And then seven other non-conference games. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so what's the record going to be? Uh, you guys want this, right? They do want this. The people want this. I mean, Yeah, we're, but we're, this is like... With like this is just making stuff up because it's yeah. not even it's not even an educated guess. It's just a straight guess. Uh, I'll say that they will go um, twenty one and ten. Wow, hater! No, that sounds right. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. So let's let's do this because people do want to look at look ahead. We'll we'll go backward a little bit later, but you're probably getting a lot of backward. Bill has written some wrap up stuff. Um, you have it. You already know what happened, but we'll go back before the end of this podcast and and put a bow on this. But looking ahead, can you give us what's the roster? Let's look yeah. at what the roster is going to be next season, and then let's think about what we think the starting lineup and the rotation will be in Chris Holtman's second year because Fad Mata left Chris Holtman, as it turns out. A nice nucleus for this season mm-hmm. with Jay Sean Tate, Kata Bates Diop, CJ Jackson, uh, the Wesson brothers, some some solid guys, right? Yeah. But most of that is disappearing. Yeah, he also left them a giant vacuum in the class behind the guy. <laughs> like, yeah, like black hole vacuum. Like yeah. sucked into like zero. Yeah. Nothing. This the 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 seniors, the would-be seniors for next season are the five guys who left. So there's nobody there, and that really is going to be a defining part of this roster, is that that giant hole is going to feel much bigger when you don't have Jay Sean Tate and Kate Bates-Diop fixing so many other things by themselves. Each of those guys was like two players in one. Yeah. You know, so that's you're really going to notice that. Okay, so what what are we talking about here? Okay, so we'll for this exercise, we'll assume Kate is not coming back. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but yeah. we'll assume he's not coming back for right now. Um, I'm going to go by class. So sen- the only senior on the roster next year will be C.J. Jackson, or the only senior currently scheduled to be on the roster next year is C.J. Jackson. Okay. The juniors are Andre Wesson and Micah Potter. Okay. The sophomores are Caleb Wesson, Musa Jallo, and Kyle Young. Okay. And then the incoming freshmen are guard Luther Muhammad, Okay. Guard Dwayne Washington. Okay. Uh, wing, I would call him a forward, Justin Irons. Uh-huh. With two or three. Um, and then Jaden Lede, who is a power forward slash center. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. So there's only six returning players. Yep. That is not a lot. 
Yeah, and to like further prove the point that we just made about what what was left for Chris Holtman behind Kata and those guys, uh, six returning players and only four of them were guys who were on the roster before Chris Holtman got here. Because Young and Jallo were late Chris Holtman ads. Who would not have been, like, I guess, like, sub-Braxton Beverly for one of them, but... Right. Two, those, both those guys would not have been on the roster. Wow. Okay, so projected starting lineup. C.J. Jackson's running the point. Yeah. And he's playing 40 minutes a game because there's no other point no guard. There's no other point guard on the roster. Does, is, does Andrew Dockich have eligibility somehow? I think, I think they cut you off after eight years. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to start with the ones that I know. So, C.J. Jackson's going to start at the point, uh-huh. and Caleb Wesson's going to start at center. Yeah. The rest is up to you. Uh, Kyle Young at the four. Starting at the four. Yeah. That's, we'll double back on him in a second, because I have questions about him. Sure. But, but let's finish the lineup first. Um, I will say Andre Wesson at the three, but okay. I think that there is a competition there to be had between him and Musa Jallo. Okay. And then Luther Muhammad at two. Okay. Okay. Uh, who will score the points? Yeah, that's the issue. <laughs> um, um, is, who's going to be is, – is C.J. Jackson as the point guard going to be their leading scorer next year, like 16 points a game? I, I, I can't see him being the leading scorer on a roster that looks like this because – what you're setting yourself up for is for C.J. Jackson to be the guy on, on your team who's getting the most attention, and I just don't think that suits him well. I think he needs a little bit of room to operate, and he benefited greatly from Kata and Jay Sean and Caleb Wesson, and had a, a great season and certainly improved the scoring output. I think there's an argument to be made he was the most improved player in the Big Ten this year, um, but I don't think he's a guy you can just give the ball to and say, hey, go score 16. So Okay, um, okay so not him. No. Caleb Wesson averaged ten point two. Can Caleb Wesson average sixteen next year? I think out of anyone on the roster, he probably has the greatest potential to be that guy. Certainly has a lot of growing to do. We saw that in the Big Ten tournament where he essentially he couldn't play against South Dakota State and then fouled his way out of the Gonzaga game. Um, but I think the skill is there, at least on the offensive end of the floor, for him to be a guy who can get his scoring output up to fifteen or sixteen points per game. And is it? F- we know Andre Wesson is def is are Andre Wesson and Musa Jallo both kind of defense first guys at the three, or can they become more of a scoring threat? Yeah, they're both defense first, and Andre is probably a little more consistent shooter, though they both weren't great this year. Um but Musa's got a little more athleticism and maybe if he works on his handle a little bit, can be someone who can become more of a driver than, than Andre Wesson is. And Micah Potter has flashed here and there. Offensive ability as a stretch stretch four, who also obviously plays five for these guys. Mm-hmm. Can he lift his offensive game to another level? I don't know. I I I have I've been wondering all year exactly what Micah Potter's like future is in this program, and it's not. I'm not like speculating that he's going to leave or anything like that. It's just like I asked Chris Holtman. When was this? I think it was before the Big Ten tournament. Like what his comfort level is of playing Micah Potter at the four which I think is where he's probably best suited is to be a stretch four because he's not a true center. And Chris Holtman basically said, like, yeah, we, we, we're not going to do that. We, we can't have him guard power forwards. I can't have him guard guys on the perimeter. So, like, offensively, if he's a four, I think that puts him in a better position to use his jump shot, which is the best part of his game. But I don't think they would do that because you ha- also have to play defense. So I don't, I don't know what his offensive upside is, and I don't know 
how much moving forward his role is going to change with Caleb Wesson not going anywhere. And it sounds like Kyle Young is like nipping at his heels a little bit. And Jaden Day also plays the same position and is more athletic. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with Michael Potter. All right, before we get to the freshman then, talk to me about Kyle Young, who was recruited by Chris Holtman and this staff to go to Butler, would have been the highest ranked recruit in Butler history, mm-hmm. came to Ohio State, and for the most part was a non-factor as a true freshman, which is not a big deal. There's lots of guys who come and don't do much as a true freshman. But but is this guy – I mean, this guy was recruited. He's a top – is he a top 100, 100 recruit? Yep. I mean, is there some expectation that this guy has a chance to be like, if not a great player, a very good player? Yeah, I think that's the expectation. I, I think that, that he is the one on the roster who they're expecting to make the biggest jump in this offseason. And part of the problem with Kyle this year was that he was stuck behind K to base Diop and kind of stuck behind Jay Sean Tate. Kyle Young is not a small forward, um, and he's actually grown a little bit. I was talking to him in the locker room. I, re- <laughs> I heard a story before the South Dakota State game about how Kyle Young could have a big role, and I think he went to the scorer's table but never actually checked in and then went back to the bench and never played in that game. Um but my point was that they were going to have to go small, and they ended up having to go small. They just didn't do it with him. Um, but I had asked a lot of questions both to Kyle Young and about Kyle Young in the locker room before the game. And, and basically what I got is he stuck behind the Big Ten Player of the Year, so he wasn't going to play a ton. When he did play, they kind of used him more as like a small ball five than they did as a power forward um, because of, again, their comfort level of playing certain guys at center against bigs that can play on the perimeter. Um but the the plan for Kyle Young is to be, Chris Holtman said, a face-up four, which is like not quite like he's – he can shoot threes. I asked him, I said, didn't you shoot threes in high school? And he said, yeah, I shot threes in high school all the time. And I said, why don't you do it now? And he said, because they don't want me to do it. They're not asking me to. Um, but I think there's a confidence level that he can be a little bit of a three-point threat. Um, Kata Bates-Diop, and this is just guys talking. Kata Bates-Diop said the last three weeks of practice, Kyle Young, Kyle Young was really good and shooting the ball really well. Um, I think he's got a little bit of a mid-range game. He's pretty athletic and can score in the post, I think, a little bit and can certainly dunk at a high level. Guys have said he's he might be the best dunker on the team. Um, I just don't think that there is room for him to do that this year because they wanted to play Kata at the four, and playing Kata at the four means Kyle Young's not going to play at all. So, but but that's the role they envision for him. Not not scoring at the same level that Kata did because Kata scored twenty points per game, but. I think that there's an expectation that Kyle Young becomes a double-digit scorer for Ohio State as a sophomore, um, provides a rebounding lift that they're going to miss with Bates Diop and Jay Sean take on and makes the biggest individual jump of any player on the roster from this year to next year. All right, so those are the six guys that will be back. Four-man recruiting class, ranked 24th in the nation by 247 Sports. Ranked 6th in the Big Ten by 247 Sports, behind Northwestern. Uh, Who is Pete Nance? Two four-stars, two three-stars. Luther Muhammad, 77 overall player in the country. Jadon Lede, number 92. Dwayne Washington, number 192. And Justin Ahrens, number 239. How good... Is this freshman class? Is this an this is a roster that needs an impact freshman class? But the, so they only have six guys back. Mm-hmm. And they have 
four freshmen. We'll get to you guys have questions about like grad transfers that we'll get to, but at least two of the freshmen are going to have to play major roles in the rotation. Yep, maybe more. Overall class impact. What do you expect in year one? Um. I think maybe a little better than what people will expect just by looking at it on paper. Um, I like Luther Muhammad a lot. He is he has like a toughness and like a real edge on the defensive end of the floor that I, I just don't think Ohio State has on its will have on its roster next year or had on its roster this year. Um, I think I was watching one of his high school games earlier this year, and I forget the player he was going against. It was one of the kids who's a five star commit who's signed with Duke. And Luther Muhammad completely locked that kid up. And, like, that's what he does. Um, His offensive game has to develop, but I think he is ready to defend at the college level immediately. So you'll see him a lot. I think he'll show up and be Ohio State's best perimeter defender. Um, He can get to the bucket. He's like a slasher. He's got decent handle. I think he'll play some point guard minutes. He just has to become a more consistent shooter to become a better player. Um, So I think he can make a big impact. I think... Uh, Jaden Ledee might make an impact as a as an athletic big who can maybe bring some rim protection, which they also didn't have this year. Um, and then Dwayne Washington and Justin Aaron's, I think, are a little bit of wild cards. I, uh, Aaron's, I'm not so sure. Um, I think there's legitimate questions about his athleticism at the start, um, but he's a pretty good shooter. He's the best shooter in the class. Um, one of the best players in Ohio this year. I think he's an important piece. I think it's important to have Ohio guys. It's important that Chris Holtman was able to salvage some of what Thad Mata had committed when he had an, an all-Ohio recruiting class committed for 2019. Um, I just don't know if Aaron's can like get past Andre Wesson and Musa Jallo to play a lot next year. And then I think they believe that Dwayne Washington is like a bit of a steal. Um, I have not watched him enough to, to really have a, a fully formed opinion on him, but he's originally from Michigan and then went out to California um, to actually live with his uncle, who was Derek Fisher, former Laker Derek Fisher. Former Laker coach. Who did he coach? Oh, he coached the Knicks. Um, I get Derek Fisher and Ty Lue mixed up sometimes. One is still coaching for now. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's Derek But they Fi- were both Laker guards. They were both Laker guards, right? Yeah, at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Allen Iverson stepped over one of them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think Dwayne Washington has probably the best offensive game of, of anyone in this class. He's a three-star, and he's a little... I think the, the feeling in Ohio State's end is that he's a little underrated. And they were very happy when they got him. Um, beat out Michigan for him. Michigan had a, had a pretty good relationship with Dwayne Washington, and Ohio State got him. So he's he is the one who, in my mind, is like if he if he truly is a steal, and 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 Ohio State feels like they they fleece some people a little bit to get him, then that can make a difference in my mind because I think Muhammad is ready to contribute. I think Lede has the athleticism that he'll play a lot, and if they can get a third guy from that freshman class who's ready to add a scoring punch, and it's Dwayne Washington. I think the class overall can have a greater impact than what it looks like it might have on paper. Ty Lue and Derek Fisher played three seasons together in the Lakers' backcourt, by the way, in 1998, 99, 99, 2000, and 2000, 2001, just as a point of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. It doesn't sound like a great team. No offense. No, I, <laughs> no I guess offense. not. Like, who's going to who, – they're losing a great score. Was not would you describe? I mean, we know the numbers, but Kade Bates Diop just seemed like he could like get a jump shot off over guys. Yeah, whenever he wanted, could shoot threes, could go to the hole a little bit. Just an absolute 
offensive star, offensive weapon, number one go-to guy. And then I really thought Jayshon Tate really developed a lot in his four years in his ability to maneuver around the basket while being undersized, to finish with both hands, to develop a set of moves that could get the ball up on the rim um, against bigger guys, a much better touch, not as out of control. I think early in his career, he'd be more out of control and not be able to finish with a soft touch inside. And he really became, I thought, a very well-rounded offensive player. And, and for instance, you know, like Andre Wesson would need to make strides like that. Yeah. You know, again, like someone like Kyle, Kyle Young or Musa Jallo or somebody here is going to have to really develop their offensive game. Caleb Wesson's going to be have to become a force. Mm-hmm. When you say Luther Muhammad probably has the, the, the game to be the, the freshman who contributes the most, but yet he's, an, he's another guy who you think is going to be is more ready to contribute on the defensive end first. They are going to need lots of guys to take big strides with their offensive games because somebody – Kata made everybody better. And yep. you're talking about that with CJ. I don't know who it is that's going to be the guy that makes everybody better when this team has the ball next year. It just feels like everybody's going to be on their own to get their shot. Because the defense isn't gonna, uh, the opposing defense isn't gonna have any one player that they're gonna have to focus on to stop, which opens things up for other guys. Unless Caleb Wesson really, really becomes a force inside that needs to be double teamed all the time, which is, you know, if if he's on any kind of Jared Sullinger path, Jared Sullinger light, that's what he would become. But he's not there yet, right? No, he's not there yet. But he is because he can also pass, and that's like I, I thought. For as good as Kata was, and all the things you said about his shot-making ability are true, there were times where it felt like the offense got a little stagnant forcing the ball to Kata. Now, they had no choice because he's their best shot-maker. Um, but he's not a great passer, and even toward the end of the year, I like was a little better with passing out of double teams, but still not great. Um, I think that can become a real skill for Caleb Wesson. We've talked about that before. It's just a matter of does he assert himself as enough of a presence inside that he's going to command the double team that he can then pass out of, and are the people around him good enough shooters to make teams pay? Because that was a deal like when they had Sollinger. Sollinger, they throw in the Sollinger and he'd throw in the Debler and people were kind of three and were back playing defense, right? Yep. So I don't know. Um, like that's that's clearly not here on this roster yet. I think I think that is the design when you have a guy like Caleb Wesson, but there's going to take a year or two. I think to put some pieces around him. Um, but no, there is not. There is not the guy who jumps out as a dominant scorer. I think it's possible they can have, you know, four or five guys averaging around ten, eleven, twelve. But that was part of the problem over the last couple of years of Thad Mata. Like after D'Angelo Russell left, they had like two years of guys scoring 10, 11, 12, but no one scoring 16, 17, 18. And then when they finally got that this year in Cato, look what they did. So you need that next level score, I think, to be a Big Ten competitor. I don't know if you necessarily need it to, to be a team that finishes like sixth or seventh in the Big Ten and, and flirts with the tournament spot, though. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess the other part of this, though, is when we're talking about guys like Andre Wesson, what you said about Luther Muhammad. Um, Musa Jallo, this has a chance to be a good defensive team, does it not? Yeah, and I think a, probably a more athletic team. Okay. Um, with Muhammad and Lede in particular, and I think um, Jallo with another year and Kyle Young. Like I think Kate is great. Kate is not the best athlete, which is why he's not projected to be higher in, for, in the NBA draft. Um, Jay Sean Tate is a good athlete, but just limited a little bit by his size. So. They lose scoring, certainly, and they lose a lot of it. Because lo- we haven't said the name Cam Williams, I don't think. Like, they lose Cam Williams, too. 
who average about nine points a game. They're losing. About, oh, they're yeah. losing almost forty points per game with with Kata Cam and Jay Sean Tate. Um, but I think there's an opportunity for them to be more athletic um, and maybe not quite as versatile defensively, but still a very strong defensive team. Let me say let's and let's. Uh, I'm trying to think when we should start looking backwards. Let's let's do let's go we'll, we'll go back now and then we'll go forward then we'll go back then we'll go forward again. All right. I was fascinated by the NCAA tournament Cam Williams. Oh yeah. Because I think I we've talked about this before. Cam Williams to me in his 5 years here was always a player who wanted to be the guy. He wants the ball in tough spots. He wants to make big shots. Which is admirable. There's a, a lot of guys want that, but some some kind of don't. I always felt like Cam Williams was like, let me be the guy. And then it just felt like sometimes he wasn't quite at that level as much as he mentally wanted to be at that level. Mm-hmm. And then he absolutely hit that level to go four-point play late in the game when it's a tie game against South Dakota State and then come back down and get fouled on a three and make all three foul shots it just felt like through the TV you could see that guy living the thing he always wanted to live. And I think you would feel good about any player in that situation. This is what these guys, this is what everybody dreams of. You get to be a hero in the NCAA tournament. On the, on the, the list of all the things that you can do as an athlete in America, NCAA tournament hero, when the whole country's watching you, in that do-or-die scenario, is one of the coolest things you can be. Mm-hmm. And Cam Williams got to be that, and I thought, not just that you feel good for anybody, I like felt good for that guy, because I felt like like that guy, that's all he ever wanted to be. Yeah, that's like what, that was the the gist of the conversation with him after the game, because it was, it's yeah, it's been very evident that, that, that he's that guy, and the question, the question I asked everyone, I asked Chris Holtman, like I asked CJ Jackson, I think I asked Jay Sean Tate. I was like, and then my question was just like, Cam loves this, right? And like, oh yeah, yeah, Cam loves this. Like he's, he's whatever. You you might think that maybe he thought a little too highly of himself in some situations early in his career when it was clear that he wanted to be that guy and just wasn't living up to it, or clear that he would do like he would score twenty four against Rutgers and act like he just scored twenty four in like the final four. Um, I think that happened from time to time. Um, but he he stepped up in a major way, I thought, and I wrote it after the, the loss to Gonzaga, that he played, the two games he played in Boise, I thought were probably the two best games of his career, because even if the scoring wasn't quite what it was against Gonzaga, he was still very aggressive. Um, probably the most aggressive offensive player they had, and, and still shot the ball pretty well, and, and was an issue for both teams they played, and, and frankly opened some stuff up for some other guys. So, yeah, that was that was Cam Williams going out exactly the way he wanted to go out, like short of the team success. Um, but I think it does open a door to like a little bit of frustration to like why weren't you that earlier this year or at any real point earlier in your career? Yeah, it's like if you're if you all of a sudden you're like a twenty point a game shooting guard who's like nailing big threes. It's like that is a kind of a game changer. Yeah, yeah. and they could kind of use that. Um, it's funny though. I remember remember very vividly his freshman year when he got mono, and we were wondering if he was going to play. And Thad Mata was kind of kind of said, "No, you know, I I don't think it'd be fair to him 
basically to use up a year of eligibility on half a season as a, as a freshman. And I was kind of like, why? The future's not promised. You never know what's going to – like if a guy can play, let him play. Yeah. Just get him out there on the court. Okay, so we had model for half the year. That's fine. And it's like, what was the end result of not playing Cam Williams? It's like he saved you in the NCAA tournament. Like if Cam Williams had played as a true freshman and then not been on the team this year, they might have lost South Dakota State. Mm-hmm. So that I thought that was like, wow, that was like, you know, butterfly effect, but holy moly, like good call fad. <laughs> um, so this is, I tweeted this out the other day and I wanted to get your vibe on this as, as we talk about the NCAA tournament a little more specifically with these guys. And then again, Bill did put out the call for questions. We have some questions from you guys um, looking forward with the Buckeyes. So again, we'll look forward. But in this look back, they're a five seed. The three other five seeds are still alive. Clemson as a five seed looked really good in beating the holy living daylights out of a lifeless Auburn team in round two in a way that made me, you know, like, well, I think Ohio State would have beaten Auburn too when Auburn was that four and Clemson was the five. West Virginia was a five. They got to play Marshall, a 13, because Marshall beat Wichita State, which was that four. Kentucky was a five. They got to play Buffalo because Buffalo beat Arizona, which was a four. So the three fives that advanced in the second round beat a 13, a 13, and a lifeless four. And Ohio State in the second round got Gonzaga, who I think I think Texas A&M looks really good right now. I think Texas A&M might be the best team on that side. But I also think it's I think it's very possible Gonzaga is going to the national title game. Just the way that whole yeah. side of the bracket opened up. Again, Michigan is the highest seed left at three. Gonzaga's a four. Kentucky's a five. Everything else is wide open. Matchups. We said when the bracket came out that we thought the South Dakota State matchup turned out to be pretty good for Ohio State compared to what you could get in a 12. And again, the the dreaded 5-12, no 12s won this year. There's two 11s in the Sweet 16. The 12s won 0-4. We thought the South Dakota State matchup was good for Ohio State. We thought the Gonzaga matchup was tough for Ohio State. Is it possible that if they had been in a 5 in any other region, would they be in the Sweet 16? Could they have beaten Auburn as a four seed? And could they have beaten Buffalo and Marshall? The way this Ohio State team in the, played in the tournament, do you think in the end, second round exit was probably about right? Or did they play well enough against Gonzaga that if they weren't playing a team in Gonzaga that probably is more talented than a four, but just didn't have a good enough schedule during the year to get a higher seed... If they had played a little bit of an easier team, could Ohio State easily be in the Sweet 16 right now? Uh, I don't know if I'd say easily, but but yeah, I think I think they, they played well enough in the second round loss to Gonzaga. Is it Gonzaga or is it Gonzaga? Uh, we've been through this. You were we sent you to Boise with one mission: find this out. Yeah, but I felt like I was saying Gonzaga the whole time because someone I think Chris Holman would have said it's Gonzaga, but then everyone was saying Gonzaga. What is Gonzaga? What does What do the what's their nickname? The Bulldogs or the, the Zags? The, Z- the, Zogs? <laughs> the Zogs? I guess it's not the Zogs. What do the Zogs call themselves? I don't know. I didn't ask anyone. I should have asked. Our our Uber driver back to the airport, who obviously lives in Boise, said Gonzaga. So I'll, we'll go with him. Okay. 
Um, I thought they played well enough against Gonzaga in the second round uh, to to beat like any not anyone else, but certainly beat other teams that were available to be played in the second round. Because I do agree with like Gonzaga has multiple pros. Um, that Rui Hachimura kid, who like Ohio State couldn't stop, I think has been playing basketball for like two months. Um, he was unbelievable in that game. I thought he looked a little bit like Josh Perry. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He was really good. Yeah, he's also like a thirteen percent three point shooter. And then of course he banged a three at the end of the game that like effectively ended the game. Yeah. Um, but he was really good. Um, Josh Perkins is a pro. I think Jonathan Williams is probably a pro. They have some younger guys on that team too who I think are if they're not NBA players or at the very least professional basketball players. And they just went to the national title game. Yeah. And so like they know what it takes to win in the tournament. It's their fourth straight Sweet Sixteen. Um, so yeah, there was. Possible, like looking if we wanted to go through the entire field and look at it, it's like and like rank the teams that are the worst possible matchups for Ohio State. It's very possible Gonzaga is like in the top five of all the teams in the tournament, and that's who Ohio State drew. So like, like having watched Buffalo, um, Buffalo was pretty good and pretty athletic and really took it to Arizona. I think Buffalo could have given Ohio State some problems. Um, and I didn't watch all the other games, but judging how badly Clemson beat Auburn, I would feel pretty confident saying Ohio State could have beat Auburn. Um, what was the other one? Uh, Marshall. Marshall versus West Virginia. Um, Marshall beat Wichita State. Yeah, I think Ohio State could have. Yeah, I, certainly there's there's easier path for Ohio State. But if the overall question is, like, did Ohio State show up to the NCAA tournament good enough to get to the Sweet 16? My answer is yes. And here's the thing. If you play in Florida State. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I saw that the next day. I was like, of course, yeah. Florida like, State. it just opens up. And then they would have played the winner of Michigan. Texas A&M, Michigan. Yeah. Again, I think Texas A&M looked really good. Um, I thought Texas A&M was going to beat North Carolina after looking at Texas A&M in the, in the first game. But but then they would play. I mean, they play a Michigan team. If it would be Michigan, you know, they're one and one against Michigan. So, yeah. like, it just... Matchups and luck and a lot of stuff goes into it. It's just they hit, they hit a a bad matchup against a really good. It's a double whammy. It's a really good team that's also a bad matchup. Yeah. In round two, when almost everything else in that bracket was opening up, and by the way, like Gonzaga didn't look perfect in the first round and look for a moment like they might be in trouble i thought they were going to lose to greensboro on that thursday because that was funny i was out I, I wanted to do a facebook live before the ohio state game but i can't do it from inside the arena because like anything that emanates live from that building is like owned by cbs so i had to go outside the building and i was doing the facebook live and talking about it and i was like oh yeah it looks like uh gonzaga's going to roll to an easy win over unc greensboro and someone in the comments was like dude it's a two-point game get back in there <laughs> so i had to shut it down and went back in and watch the end um, but they were a really good team too, UNC Greensboro. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a bad matchup, but I also think like, I, all that is true. Ohio state was like still in position to win the game. And I think there's an argument to be made that they like should have won that game after they got up by, it was a five, it's like 67, 62 with like five or six minutes left. And then Gonzaga won on an 11 0 run. And that was the end of it. Um, it's not like it. It's it's not just that. Like, oh, look at Ohio State. They had a great season. They just came up a little bit short. Like they could have won. And I think you're allowed to be frustrated by that. What was the deal? Why do you think they had such the terrible start against Gonzaga? Were they just nervous? Nervous. Yeah, it was like it was nervous at the beginning of the first half. Uh, Gonzaga like didn't miss at the end of the first <laughs> half, 
And then when Ohio State got up and toward the end of the second half, like they couldn't keep Gonzaga off the glass. And then they all game, they didn't have an answer for Hachimura. And then Zach Norvell hit like a crazy falling corner three with a hand in his face. It's just like, what are you going to do? Yeah. So it's like they didn't, I don't think they completely crumbled. They just didn't make enough plays at the end. All right. Is there anything else you want to tell us or talk about from your Boise experience? Because I have an overarching program wide two-part question I want to ask you and then I want to get to the questions but I want to give people the full Bill Landis goes to Idaho experience before we do that uh, did you eat uh, a ice cream potato or any of the food no did you go to any of the food places that were suggested to you by Twitter followers <laughs> no did you just eat a Burger King the whole time no I mostly ate at the arena like because I'm a company man we went out to dinner uh, one night, like we went out and like hit Boise a little bit and we just went to a local brewery that I talked about when I did the podcast there. It was pretty good. I had poutine. It was great. Um, but no, did not go to any of the recommended places. Uh, did not go out every night. I was, I was alone in the hotel room watching UMBC beat, uh, Virginia had a decent pizza. I ordered a pizza to the hotel room. Hotel room was pretty good. Better than any pizza I've had here in Columbus which I was blown away by, and apparently pizza in Boise is not that bad. Also, people there say Boise and not Boise. I have been saying Boise forever because I thought Boise was wrong. A bartender with a handlebar mustache told me that it Boise is acceptable. Really? Yeah. I was trying to give a gentle nod to our followers in Idaho by not – because Boise, that's what I feel like you learned – in school, Boise, yeah. but that that was wrong. And I thought someone had said, okay, man, we don't know how to say anything. Nope. Aga, Boise, okay. So in Boise. So, But you liked it. I loved it, yeah. I go, I think I said this when I, I had come, I came back from Nashville when we did a podcast. Every time I go somewhere, I want to move there. <laughs> um, but this, I think this is like, the second strongest I've actually felt about that other than San Diego. Really? Because, like, Nashville was awesome, but when you really boil it down, like, Nashville is just kind of Columbus with, like, better music. Yeah. Um, And I realized how much I enjoy topography. Like, stuff to look at. But, okay. So, there, like, what? A mountain? There's a mountain out there? Like, the Rocky Mountains are out okay. there. It's not, like, it's not like a Pennsylvania <laughs> hill. It's like a snow-capped, beautiful mountain. Okay. That mountain range that overlooks downtown Boise, and it's beautiful. If you lived there, would you go up the mountain? Or would you no, just look at not. it? Just look at it. You just want to wake up, and on your way to get wings, yeah. have a mountain to look at. Yeah, and I asked, so I, I shared a room with a couple of reporters, and one of those reporters was Austin Ward from Land of Ten, who's originally from Wyoming. So he grew up with some of those views and around those views and had been in Boise before. And I said, does this ever get old? And he said, no. So yeah, I want to, I want to live some, eventually live someplace scenic. And that is like a, Boise was very scenic. I have stayed in a hotel. I stayed in a crappy motel one time called the Wallona motel in Illinois. And on the wall of the hotel room was like wallpaper of a mountain. <laughs> Can't we just get you mountain wallpaper for your office and achieve? Since you don't want to go up the mountain, you just want to look at a mountain. Well, maybe I want to go up. There. I'll have the option to go up there. I don't know. Right now, I don't want to go up there. But who's to say in two days I wouldn't want to? You're from Philly, man. 
You're from I know. Philly. I was having a, like a complex about that. Like, like I am. I am from Philadelphia. I very much enjoy living in the city. It's why I live in the city in Columbus, and I don't live out in the burbs like you do. Um, so, like, I was on my flight back from Boise, thinking to myself, like, why do I like Boise so much? Because it is like the least Philly place I've ever been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm not sure the mountain view would be enough to sustain you. Yeah, probably not. I had I had never uh, really spent much time in the Rocky Mountains. Like I drove through one time, but didn't really stop anywhere. And I've like never been. To, I flew through Denver on the way back, but that was my first time in Colorado. So it was really my first time experiencing what the Rocky Mountains look like. So maybe that was it. Okay. You can talk to your therapist about this. Sure. Overarching question time. Are we ready for overarching questions? Mm-hmm. Chris Holtman and his assistants. Having observed them in action, I feel like you've gotten to know them a little bit personally, mm-hmm. certainly professionally, as you've covered this team and interacted with them and interviewed them and talked with them. I'm assuming, did you get to talk to the assistants out in Boise a little bit more yeah. than usual? Uh-huh. Open locker room situations? Yep. Two-part question. Scale of 1 to 100. Your confidence in the overall... Three-part question. Your <laughs> confidence in the overall coaching ability of Chris Holtman and this staff after watching them for a year. And by coaching, I will define that as in-game coaching, in-game adjustments, plays within a game, motivating players within a game, game preparation in the days leading up to a game in terms of strategy, how they're going to attack a defense, how they're going to defend an offense, how they're going to shut down good offensive players, um, getting the players to execute the plan that the coach has developed. Scale of 1 to 100, Chris Holtman and his assistants, their coaching ability, as you view this program into the future, you think, well, they coach at a blank on a scale of 1 to 100. Is 90 like crazy high? No, no. Yeah, no. I think I'm at a, I'm at a 90, 90-ish, um, which is why, like, even with all this, the roster transition, the thing, the thing that will remain the same is Chris Holtman, I suppose, and then maybe this is another part of your question, that they might have a change or two on the staff. Um, not change or two, but maybe a change on the staff. Um, Just because somebody might get a job. Yeah. Um, but I thought this staff, and really Chris Holtman throughout his entire career, has shown a very strong ability to get the most out of his roster, no matter what that roster looks like. Now, at Gardner-Webb, that might win, mean winning 13 games when you're supposed to win eight. And this year at Ohio State, it meant winning 25 games, and people thought you'd be lucky to win like 18. Um, but I think I, I'm, I'm very confident in this coaching staff's ability to get the most out of its roster and connect with the players in a way that makes the team reach its if not its full potential, pretty close to it. And this team this past year definitely reached its full potential. Chris Holtman and this staff, their recruiting ability, which isn't related to anything in the NCAA tournament, but we're wrapping up this season and looking ahead. As we said, they signed the 24th ranked class in the country, sixth in the Big Ten, in a very short recruiting window. They got Kyle Young and Musa Jallo in a very short window to get them on this team as freshmen. Um, now this next cycle, the class of 2019, will be their first real chance to fully recruit a group of guys. 
but what is your level of confidence in their recruiting ability, scale of 1 to 100, based on what you've seen so far? Uh, lower, certainly. I think maybe like a 70, and that's mostly because I just think there's there's like a lot remains to be seen. I thought, I agree they did a really good job kind of doing what they could with this 2018 class, given the window that they had. Um, or let's say 20, 2018 class. The 2019 class is, is where I'll form more of an opinion depending on what they're able to do. This is a new situation for them. Um, I think they recruited very well to like their system at Butler and, and certainly had a team that went to the Sweet 16 last year. Um, being at Ohio State opens doors, I think, to recruit higher caliber players, and I'm just like curious to see how they handle that. Do they go get more like three low four-star guys so you know we're going to be four-year players but fit your, fit your system very well and, and how often are they going to swing and try to go get a five-star that, that Ohio State allows you to get that you probably can't get a Butler. Like you said, Kyle Young is like the best on paper recruit Butler's ever had. Um, and Luther Muhammad is this year is ranked very similarly to where Kyle Young was ranked last year. So I'm, I'm talking about guys like Alonzo Gaffney. And he's from Ohio, so maybe that's a little bit different. You don't give him as much credit. But if they can go out and get a top 20 national five-star, possibly one and done. I don't think one and done, but but that kind of player, um, that will say a lot to me. Um, I think they recruit very aggressively. Um, I think they recruit very hard, and, and it's, it's something they take very seriously, more seriously than the previous staff. Um, I just don't know, like, closing ability, whatever you want to call it, or, or is this the kind of staff that can go out and get a five-star? I don't know that yet. I will say, and and it's just a reminder of how much recruiting matters. I would think certainly at the end, at the very least, people would have given Thad Mata and his staff a grade lower than 90 for coaching. There were a lot of oh yeah complaints about getting the best out of their players, developing players here at the end of the Thad Mata run. But I think you would have given them a higher grade on recruiting. And this is a reminder of how recruiting matters. We know the 2015 class exploded for Ohio State. Let's remember this 2014 class for Ohio State. D'Angelo Russell, the number 16 player in the country, one and done, second pick in the NBA draft. Keita Bates-Diop, the number 29 player in the country. It took them a while to get there, in large part because of injury. Like, this was not a shock that Keita Bates-Diop became the best player in the Big Ten. No. It's because Thad Mata and his staff got the number 29 player in the country from Illinois to come to Ohio State. Jay Sean Tate, I think we like to, th- some people think of Jay Sean Tate as like a gritty, kind. Of, he was the number 58 player in the country. Now, he's from Ohio State's backyard, but you still got to get him. Jeremiah Francis is in Ohio State's backyard. He's not committed to Ohio State. He's ranked in the 50s, just like Jay Sean Tate was. Imagine if they hadn't gotten Jay Sean Tate. Jay Sean Tate, 58. So 16, 29, 58. Then David Bell, who ended up transferring, was also in that class. That's three top 60 players in that class that all absolutely panned out at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Jay Sean Tate's one of the best Buckeyes you're ever going to see. Kenneth Bates-Diop was a Big Ten player of the year, and D'Angelo Russell was the second pick in the draft. So recruiting, 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 recruiting. That, I think, is at this point, with what Chris Holtman and the staff has established in how they coach, feel very confident. That's what they have to do. That's what's going to make the difference here. And that's right at the beginning. I remember asking Chris Holtman about, are you going to recruit differently than you did at Butler? Do you think you can recruit differently? Because... Butler's really good. 
Sad motto, it was really good recruiting at Xavier. But if you can't up that level at Ohio State, you're not going to quite get to where people want you to get. Final overall grade, program building. We're just talking about, and I know you had a conversation with Chris Holtman about this. It's going to lead to a story earlier. But everything that goes into it, this to me is the overall grade. Because coaching actually is not the overall grade. Right. That was coaching. But coaching is not what being a college coach is all about. It's a big component. It's far from the only component. So coaching is part of it. Recruiting is part of it. But overall, this is the thing that takes into account coaching and recruiting and then everything else. Making people believe in your program. Getting people excited. Getting them to, f- to fill the seats. Creating an atmosphere. Um, just making it fun for Ohio- for people to be Ohio State basketball fans again. And that helps just brand your program and helps then helps you in recruiting Mm -hmm. you know i think like urban meyer is excellent at this kind of thing urban meyer isn't out glad handing as much and i think he maybe doesn't do as much with boosters and and keeping donors happy and that kind of thing maybe as much as some guys do but there is a brand to ohio state football that is obviously built on winning on the field but also is is in some way separate from that and they cultivate that brand very much so Take everything into account. The state of the Ohio State basketball program, what's your 1-100 to score on Chris Holtman and the staff just establishing that? Um, hmm. I'm always bad with these numbers games you like to play because I'm always worried I'm going to go way too high. I'll say like a 87. I think, I think that's fair. Um. Do you don't you do you think people feel good right now? Do you think, yeah, I think Ohio they, State fans feel pretty good? I think they feel good. I think they should feel good. I, I think if whatever, if you're expecting a step back next year, that's fine. But don't look at it in that kind of vacuum. Like look at it holistically. Um, I thought I had a very interesting conversation with Chris Holtman, like right before they left for Boise, and I was just asking him about some of the stuff they've done this year. <sighs> And sort of like how how available he's been to the fan base. Now I don't think he went out like bought Kane's chicken fingers for a bunch of students when he first got here. I don't think he's going to do that every year, um, but I think he's going to do things to make it more inclusive, involve the fans, involve the students more. I think he's going to do whatever he can. I don't know how you do it, but whatever he he can, and through conversations with Gene Smith and other people at the university, to make the shot a better place to watch college basketball beyond just getting bodies in there. Um, I think he does a very good job of connecting with players, which will help in recruiting. Obviously, we've talked about his coaching ability. Um, I thought like a, a kind of an underrated move that he made when he first got here, when he was assembling his staff, really two underrated moves, was he hired Scooney Penn as the player development guy, and he hired Mike Netty, who was an assistant coach at East Carolina, to come here and be like a, a position that Holtman made up, which is like assistant a special assistant to the head coach. It's not a coaching role, but he got a guy who was in a coaching role to leave that to come here and like be special assistant to the head coach. And I thought those were moves made in anticipation of he might lose an assistant coach either this year or next, but he has like his next move planned already. So I think he doesn't like that's my way of saying I guess he doesn't leave stones unturned or whatever. He's he's a forward thinker, I think. He's a big planner. Um and I think he's just organized. I think that maybe that might be the best way to describe what he's done for Ohio State basketball. Has brought a sense of organization back um, and a connection between the players and coaches that I think even if next year, you know, they, their win total drops by eight or even ten would be a lot. But if it, if they drop to like 18, 19, 20 wins, um, that won't be alarming to me as long as the effort and the buy-in that you saw from the team this year is consistent next year. And I think it will be, which is why I think the program's in a good place. Little note, Chris Holtman, first year at Ohio State, 25-9. and 
second in his conference. In his last year at Butler, he was 25-9 and nine and finished second in his conference. But Butler did make the Sweet 16 last year. Ohio State a step short of that this year. Yeah. He also said, and like, you can probably just put this under the list of like things coaches say. So this was Chris Holtman's fourth straight NCAA tournament appearance, right? Correct. He said South Dakota State was the best team that they've played. Really? Or for best opening team they've played in the NCAA tournament. Best opening team? Yeah, not the best team they played because obviously Gonzaga's better. But Last year, Butler played Winthrop as a 13 seed in the first round. And then see, and then they got lucky. They got a twelve, and then they got a twelve. Middle Tennessee, because they were Butler was a four last year, and then they had their five got beaten by a twelve, and then they lost to number one North Carolina. Um, luck, man, because like on the resume, it's just like, oh look, last year Chris Holtman made the Sweet Sixteen, and this year he didn't. If they'd played Middle Tennessee this year, I think it would have been in good shape. Yeah, matchups, baby, matchups. All right, we're gonna go to your questions. I have the questions up. Is that all right? Do you have the yeah, questions? that's fine. Yeah. I think that the main two things that I think we're going to deal with in the questions, that we, the topics we need to hit, we'll run through some things we've talked about already. But one is grad transfers who might come. People are asking about that. And two is the status of Kata Bates-Diop. And we'll talk about that NBA decision. You also wrote about that in the story that went out Monday on Cleveland.com. So you guys can go read that. First, though, a little story from our guy Fez the Buckeye. At Fez X Aldro, unrelated note, I drive for Lyft, and I gave Jay Sean Tate and CJ Jackson a ride home yesterday and fanboyed a little. <laughs> I feel good for Fez the Buckeye. Yeah, good for him. Jay Sean Tate would be a good, like, if you're an Uber or a Lyft driver, I feel like Jay Sean Tate would be a good passenger because he's a good guy to have a conversation with. I think he would be a good passenger. Yeah. All right, this, get, this is another question. RIP Theory 22. He's asking if Ryan Peden might be in the mix for any head coaching jobs. Uh, yeah, I think so. And like nothing, I, I'm I can't really throw out a program name because I don't know anything definitively. But it's a fa- like Ryan Peden and Terry Johnson both interviewed for the Butler head coaching job last year. Didn't get it, obviously. Laval Jordan did, but that I mean that they both want to be head coaches, and I have no doubt that Mike Schrage eventually wants to be a head coach too. Ryan Peden is the highest paid assistant. Is uh, like the hot recruiter of the assistants. I think has like the most buzz about him. So I think you'll see his name come up. Um, I have not had conversations with anybody yet about like what may or may not happen. Um, but yeah, I think you could see his name pop up. I think it's possible. He's, Terry Johnson's been an assistant coach for a long time. Was at Butler for eleven years before he came here. Um, he's certainly ready to be a head coach. I just don't know. The one I did talk to those guys a lot in in Boise, but it's hard to like talk about future stuff when they're preparing for a tournament game. So the openings just weren't there. But those guys want to be head coaches, and I would not be surprised if you see Peden or Johnson's name come up. I would be a little surprised if you saw Shroggy's name come up this early. Dave Fitzgerald at Buckeye Fitzy asking along the same lines: Any risk we lose an assistant coach? Seems like Holtman's guys are loyal, but we want shooting stars. In the end, what's your What's your gut? Are all three assistants back next year or no? Uh, I'll, I'll say yeah, and that's just more of a vibe from the staff that like they would want to at least like see through year two, like okay. see through the first recruiting class. Okay. 
Tyler Shoemaker at Buckeye Tie 23. I'm extremely proud of the effort Ohio State showed after the horrendous start against Gonzaga. My only thought is once Holtman gets his guys in there, the Buckeyes will be a force. Uh, and that again, like I would dispute that a little bit. Not dispute it. I would offer the reminder of their two best players this year were Kata Bates Diep and Jay Sean Tate, yeah. and it wasn't close. Those are all Big Ten quality players that Thad Mata, at Thad Mata at his best, brought in guys like that on a regular basis. At the moment, the first six guys that Chris Holtman has brought in, Musa Jallo and Kyle Young, and then the four guys signed in this incoming class, I don't see a Kata Bates Diop in there. Nope. And I'm not sure if I see a Jay Sean Tate. Now, maybe you develop them into that, and, and I, I don't expect to see a Kata Bates Diop in there. But if you want if you want the Buckeyes to be a force, you have to see a Kata Bates D up eventually. And that I think is the only question. And and not because not that he can't do it, it's just that I feel like Chris Holtman did everything right in year one. Unbelievably right. Mm-hmm. I don't think the guy had a misstep. He didn't say anything stupid. He didn't do anything stupid. I didn't feel like he like blew. They lost that Butler game. They blew that Butler game at the end. They got uh, really destroyed at Penn State. They did. That was like their own. That was their only. That was their worst game of the year, given the timing of everything. And it was a rematch of the team that just beat. Like that was in my mind. That's like the only real game where you can look at Chris Holman and say that he didn't do didn't do a good enough job in that game. But but I just thought he he did a really good job, and so. Because of that, the only question to me is about recruiting, and it's about can you recruit elite, recruit elite guys. But before Tyler or anybody else says, man, I can't wait for Holtman to get his guys in, let's just remember you know, who he inherited. And he inherited two unbelievable players who were very high recruits that the previous staff landed and landed those guys on a somewhat regular basis, and that's the thing they have to do. Yeah, and I think he'd be the first to tell you that too, Chris Holtman would. DeLillo, are there any guys on the current roster that you don't see really contributing in the future? I mean, I guess the, the biggest question is Michael Potter, right? Yeah, and it's... And, and he should take it as a challenge, because I think he's I skilled. I think they are challenged. I think they have challenged him quite a bit. And he's I, skilled. I, he is, he is. And it's got... I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's like an aggressiveness thing or like a physicality thing, but like sometimes and it, part of the reason they couldn't get a rebound toward the end against Gonzaga is because Micah Potter was getting beat to the boards by Jonathan Williams. And Jonathan Williams is a, I think he's a fifth year senior. Like he's a grown man um, who's played a lot at both Missouri and Gonzaga. So that he would get the best of Micah Potter is not surprising, but, but he needs to take a step up. And I, I think the potential is there for him to be, a somewhat significant contributor to this team. I just don't know. He's got Caleb Wesson in front of him if he's not going to move from center. And like I said, Kyle Young coming behind him and Jaden Lede coming in in this, in this recruiting class. There's there's a lot stacked against him. Um, I'm not saying he'll back away from the challenge, but I'm just curious to see like how he handles it. I will say, and, I, and you see this a lot, it is a very difficult situation when a guy in his heart is a four, is a stretch four, and on the court is a five. And one of two things has to happen. Either you have to, in your heart, become a five and stop thinking about the threes you might make 
and start thinking about the rebounds you can get and the shots you can block, or you have to leave and go somewhere where you can be a four. Yeah. Because it is just it is not sustainable to be a four in your heart and a five on the court. And if they're telling him you're a five, we don't think you can be a four here because we don't think you can defend the four. And just the way our roster is and listen, everybody needs fives. Mm-hmm. Coaches always want fives. And there's a whole generation of guys who are fives on the court and fours in their hearts because everybody wants to shoot threes. Like me. Every seven footer thinks they're Kevin Durant, and most of them aren't. You have to figure your way out of that. And I think it, 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 something has to give. It's got to go one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. And that's not unique to Micah Potter. And however it works out, I think it can, go, it can be fine either way. But I don't think it's sustainable for a four-year career at the same place if you can never get past that. Yeah. Andrew Craig at AJC50 underscore Craig. Assuming Kato leaves, should we expect a slight regression next season with 2019 being the year for us? Um, I'm trying to see if there's an actual let me let me let me uh, look for a Kata question. Maybe there isn't a specific Kata question, so this is the best Kata question we've got because let's answer that first before we get to the regression. The question is assuming Kata leaves. Like what do you what's your percent chance that Kata Bates Diop does not go to the NBA and is at Ohio State next year? Low like uh Ten percent, maybe less than that. Eight percent. Um, I think I said before I was higher than that, and then he went through senior night. Um, I just think it'd be really strange to go through senior night if you hadn't already made up your mind. But he's he is adamant that he has not made up his mind nor thought about what he was going to do at any point during the season. Um, there's not much working in Ohio State's favor because Kada is like a late. ESPN had a new mock draft out. To, we're recording this on Tuesday. They had a new mock draft out on Tuesday. And Kata was like the projected number 17 overall pick, so like on the cusp of the lottery. But that is by far the highest I've seen him. I've, I've seen him more um, projected as like a late first-round pick, possibly second-round pick. And if there's any part of him that thinks that he can improve his draft stop, stock next year, if that's something that's important to him, I guess I can see him coming back in that way. Some guys just like playing college basketball and want to come back for another year. Um, I don't think that like there's any kind of sour taste in the way that this season ended. I think this is very much like the best season of basketball that Kata Bates Diop has ever enjoyed, both as an individual and in terms of team success. Um, so I don't think that really comes into play. It's just a matter of like what he values, and if he values coming back and possibly getting some more money on his rookie contract, I think that there's a potential for him to come back to Ohio State. But short of that, I don't know what brings him back because next year, if he were to come back next year, Think about like what he had to play through through the end of this year, and how physical teams were with here, and how much of an ordeal it was for him to get to his spots and score. Like that's going to be multiplied next year because there's not a Cam Williams and there's not a Jay Sean Tate to even take that much attention away from him. It's going to be all Kata all the time, and it's going to be a really difficult season to play through. Um, again, I'm not saying he would back away from that kind of challenge, but he's not coming back to the same situation he would be leaving if he goes to the NBA. Who are his guys? Do you know who he lived with? Do you live with Jay Sean? Jay Sean, yeah. I always think that's hard. I mean, CJ's back, but like part of the idea that like that whole class is blown out. Mm-hmm. There's such a gap. I mean, I get, it's 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 just a whole no, another generation, a whole different generation of players. You know that yeah. that, that there's. I think your guys matters. Like, do you want to stay with your guys? And I think that's always hard because again, he's a redshirt junior, so he's been here four years. 
So that's always hard. And then is there anything more he can do on the court to improve his draft stock? Or do you think, and not that this is bad, like, is this what he is? He's shown what he is. Or is there like, well, if he works on this and works on that, maybe he could be a top eight pick. Um, I think he can like improve, like change his body a little bit. Like in terms of his game, I'm not sure. He's got like a, he's got a mid range game that is pretty high level. And and would be enticing to the NBA. I think maybe he could become a little more consistent three point shooter. Um, the thing they always talked about with him was like his motor, and I think that was mostly consistent this year, but can certainly improve. He could become stronger. Um, I think maybe there's some conditioning stuff that can improve with him too. But in terms of like scoring ability, I don't know how much more he can enhance in that way. Scoring and rebounding, I think he's he's pretty well. He is what he is at the moment. Um, the other, one other thing, the other point that should be made about Kata that I wrote about um, on Monday is that he's going to declare. Like I, I would take that as a fact that he's going to declare, and the deadline to, to declare for early entrance is April twenty second. So he's got some time to do that. It's whether or not he's going to sign an agent, and if he doesn't sign an agent, then he has until June eleventh to decide to come back to college. So Ohio State could be left in limbo a little bit, which I think will be part of the conversation that Kate is having with his family and Chris Holtman this week. So it's possible that we get what would be an unsurprising declaration from Kate Bates Diop, but if it's I'm declaring without signing for an agent, then like strap in for what could be a pretty long waiting game. Second part of the Delillo question, just a quick answer. What young players need to make a big leap so Ohio State doesn't fall off so much next season? We talked about that. Who's your number one candidate for biggest leap? Kyle Young. Okay. Yeah. A lot of recruiting questions, but first, uh, okay, let's do this from Andrew Ardle, our guy. Andrew at Andrew Ardle. The ceiling next year. Like, what's the what's the best they could be? Could they be this good? Second place in the Big Ten, five seed in the NCAA tournament. Is that out there? Not without Kata, no. If Kata's back, <laughs> if, if, if Kata beats the outcome is back, I think Ohio State can contend for the Big Ten. Um, and that's not like, I haven't done a full survey. I think Michigan has a lot of guys coming back, and Michigan State's always good. And Wisconsin, I think, will be a, a, a trendy pick because most of their roster's coming back. Um, will Indiana be better next year? Indiana should be a little better. I think... Maybe still a step behind what people might expect from them. But um, with Kata back, I think the ceiling is content for the Big Ten. Without him, I think it drops off significantly. Um, top half of the league, for sure, I would say. I saw some people saying, oh, they're going to be the bottom half of the league. I just don't think – I frankly, I think their co- the coaching is too good for them. And, and the cupboard is not totally bare that they're <coughs> going to be among the last place teams in the Big Ten. I just don't think that's going to happen. So uh, with Kata content in the Big Ten, without Kata, I'd say the ceiling is like a – I don't know, like a fourth or fifth place finish in the league, maybe. If if all things click and they bring in the right kind of grad transfer. Let's get to that then. Many questions on this. Goon at Goon four two one eight. Any grad transfer news? Uh, let's see. There's another one. Hold on. Dave, David McMahon, at D McMahon 65 Recruiting news, please. Need some bigs. Um, anyone coming for 2019? Ron Swanson, at E-D-O-P underscore W-I. Address guard play and recruiting. Uh, Chase Richardson, he knows who he is. Any transfers to keep an eye on? At Austin, at Chappelle Austin. Any idea who Holtman might be targeting for a grad transfer point guard? 
um, RIP3022 is even going so far as to suggest a grad transfer point guard. John Elmore from Marshall scored 27 against Wichita State. Hasn't decided yet to stay or transfer, but someone to watch. So people are wanting to know what's coming. Let's do grad transfer first, and then we can talk about some of the um, 2019 guys that you think are possibilities. But again, they wouldn't be here next year. So we're talking about next season specifically, grad transfers with six players returning and four coming in. That's only 10 scholarship guys on the roster. Do you expect them that they – and they have room for 13. Mm-hmm. Do you expect they will add at least one grad transfer? Yeah, I think they will, and I think it'll be a guard. And if slash when Kata leaves, I think they'll explore the idea of, of a scoring wing if there's the right one out there. Um, but first and foremost, it's a point they need another point guard. I don't think you can come into the season with CJ Jackson and like hoping that Luther Muhammad and Dwayne Washington can play a little point for you. Similar to what they did with Dockage, but they have more time now to kind of survey the field and, and get someone better. Um, all that said, I think it's it's still very early. To figure that out, like I saw the Elmore guy from Marshall, I've seen his name pop up too, but like he doesn't know what he's doing yet. So he's a fine name to throw out there, but until we know whether or not he's going to leave Marshall or stay, I think that I'm not going to label him a target. He would make sense if he's available, certainly. Um, there, I was looking, there's a website called gradtransfertracker.com that I never heard of before. Um, so I went through and looked at some of the guys on that list and then like went and looked at like their profile to see if they fit. And there were a couple names that, that popped out to me. Now these are just names of guys that would make sense. I have no idea if Ohio state's targeting them or not. Cause I don't even know if Ohio state started to do his homework yet. Cause again, it's very early. It's March still. And the season's not over yet. Um, but Ryan Taylor is a shooting guard from Evansville. He's not a point. Um, but if they were looking to replace like Kata's scoring impact, I think Ryan Taylor from Evansville is a guy they could look at. He's a six-six shooting guard, led the Missouri Valley Conference in scoring this year, twenty-one point three points per game, and uh, he has already said he's grad transferring and has been in contact with like, UCLA and Indiana and Arizona. Um, Aaron Kalixti is a point guard from Maine. He's five foot eleven, so he doesn't help you in the size department. But he scored almost seventeen points per game for Maine this year. Um, Lon Kruger was out watching him like not that long ago. Um, Oklahoma, and then uh, another one is Trey Campbell, who was the number 107 overall prospect when he came out of high school. He went to Georgetown. He's a 6'2 guard who he didn't play last year, and he's got like a weird situation. So Georgetown had like a bus accident two years ago, and Trey Campbell was like pretty seriously injured in that bus accident and didn't play the rest of that year, and then didn't play at all last year. It was like he wasn't kicked off the team because they kept him on scholarship, but he like left the program. And now he's grad transferring, and he's available to play next year, and he's a 6'2 point guard. So those are just guys that would like fit the mold of what Ohio State is looking for. I, I can't say for a fact that Ohio State is targeting them because, again, I don't know. I don't think Ohio State quite knows who it's targeting yet, and that's the kind of stuff they'll start sorting through now. But think point guard and think like scoring wing if, if slash when they lose Kata. I don't think they're going to go out and get a big because they have Caleb Wesson, Micah Potter, and Jaden Day. All right, a um, couple more interesting questions. Well done on the research there, Bill Landis. Thanks. Thanks. I'm ready. Uh, let's see. Nathan Kopp at Kopp Nathan. Are you surprised Thad Mata has been interviewing for jobs? I thought he would take at least two years off before he looked to get back in. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know anything. I would have loved to have talked to Thad Mata by now. I don't know that anybody has. Um, it seems like he's in a good place for when you talk to the people who, who do know him. Uh, the health issues were real. I would have to imagine that being away for a year 
has given him time to remedy those health issues the best they could be remedied. I think he has a, a, a back issue that's never going to go away completely. But clearly, the way he talked about it in his farewell news conference with having the team trainer or doctor like come to his house and, and fix him up late at night, I mean, that's not the way to get through stuff. And mm-hmm. you see what's, what's happening with Ty Lue with the Cavs. Um, Steve Kerr with the Warriors took time away last year. Like, it's a grind, man. You get paid millions and millions of dollars, and lots of other people have grinds in life too. But there's a lot of travel, especially for college guys in recruiting. There's more travel for games in the NBA, but recruiting travel for college coaches can be tough. Um, it's just a hard lifestyle. And so I would imagine I, I wasn't shocked to see him interviewing. And also just the way things go, I wasn't shocked that – It sounds like he basically interviewed for Georgia, got offered Georgia, and then turned it down. Mm -hmm. Also, just is not 100% shocking that Thad would be like, you know what, I'll check it out. You know, eh, no, it's not really for – I think he'll wait for a really, really good opportunity. Not that Georgia wouldn't have been. His brother's in in the high school coach in Georgia. Um, He took his family there. You talked about that to check that out, that it seemed legitimate. But there's going to be other good jobs opening. Yeah. And – He's from the Midwest. He grew up in a small town in Illinois, right on the Indiana border. Um, he he played his college basketball. Where did he go? He went to Southern Illinois, I think, before he transferred to Butler. I think that's right. Uh, played at Butler, then coached at Butler, Xavier, and Ohio State. He's a Midwest guy. It doesn't mean he wouldn't go to Georgia to be a coach, but I just think there will be other opportunities. There certainly will be. And so... I just think he'll wait, but were you? Sh- I mean, like, were you surprised that he was out checking out jobs? Now, did you think he'd wait another year, or did, did you think this made sense? No, I was. I was surprised. I, I was shocked, probably too strong. But I was. I mean, there were some pretty good jobs that opened up and are still open. Um, but I was surprised that he was at least interested in talking about jobs so early. And I thought maybe at the beginning it was just part of what he has to do with his buyout. Um, but the Georgia job legitimized it. The Georgia interest legitimize it a little more for me um i'm just curious like what he wants like does he want to come back to coaching in a way that he's competing for like national championships or does he just want to coach and if he just wants to coach then i feel like he'd be better suited at a place whatever a place where it's a smaller school like than, a missouri valley school or yeah something. Like, like a place that he doesn't have to recruit any further than like 150 miles outside of his campus and can just build a really strong mid-major program and contend for conference championships and maybe get his team to the NCAA tournament every now and then, but doesn't have like the weight of contending for a national championship that he would get at any high-major program. Let me ask like, a question like, like this. Greg Marshall at Wichita State is a guy whose name is floated for jobs every year. Yeah, He's eventually going to leave, mm-hmm. I think. If Greg Mar- Marshall left Thad Mott in Wichita State, yeah, that's that's a little more high profile than I'm talking about because it's it's an American athletic conference school, but it is a school that's had some. They're no, almost notoriety like a, they're like, almost like Gonzaga. I mean, they were four yeah. seed and they were disappointed to lose in the tournament, but yeah. I don't. They don't quite have national title expect. Maybe aspirations. They made a final four. They beat Ohio State to get to the final four. Yeah, but their aspirations, not expectations. Any school that's paying its coach three million dollars a year, I think, has aspirations to win a national title. Like Louisville would be a thing if if Louisville gets straightened out and is an but if you're going to Louisville you're going there you better be yeah. people are going to be expecting you to win a national championship especially when your coach has been in multiple Final Fours yeah. so like would he want that 
or would he would he be happier at you know Creighton? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's but but the the jobs that he spoke to people about, like oh, like Ole Miss is not a great basketball program, but it's also not it's not Evansville, um, and Georgia would have some level of expectation. There were some rumblings about the pit job. There's expectations that come with that. So the, that leads me to believe that he's in it to, to still contend. He's still young by coaching standards. He's 50. So as long as his health is in, is in a good enough place that he thinks he can do it, I think maybe he'll want to go to more of a higher level job than, than a mid-major. Seth Shaner at Shanerbaum. I think we addressed this, but I just want to acknowledge the question because it is kind of what we talked about that people are wondering about this. Will it be too big of an ask for Holtman to replicate this year's results with Kata likely gone, or does the amazing turnaround this year mean we should trust his ability to have his teams play at or above their level? You think it whether they can replicate this is a, is a reach, but you you seem to believe that he's going to get the most out of what he has. Yeah, I think I would trust him to get the most out of out of his roster. Like I don't know. It's it's replicate what they did this year, like second place in the Big Ten in a five seed. I think probably not. Um, ask me again in like June when we have a better idea of what the roster looks like. Um, but as it's situated now, I would say no. But I think you could. I think the safe assumption is that he will he will get every bit of potential that he can get out of his roster. It's just a matter of what the potential is once all the pieces are assembled. Buckeye Fitzy, who we already did a question, just makes a good point that I want to get Landis to answer. I think the coaching staff change made about a three to five game difference. Thad would have also made the NCAA tournament, but the team energy and defensive effort would not have been the same in my view. Thoughts on that? How much of a difference? Hmm. So this was... I don't know if I agree with that. I don't I don't know if Thad's staff would have made the NCAA tournament this year with this team. With, with a healthy Kata? You don't know if they... I don't know. They went fifteen and three. You think Thad's and his staff would have gone eight and ten? No, but I don't even know if ten wins in the Big Ten would have been good enough. I don't know. I don't think they would have beaten Michigan State the way they beat Michigan State. I don't think they would have won at Purdue. I mean, they almost won some of those games last year. They blew a Purdue game. Yeah. I, I mean, know. but there's also a difference between almost winning and actually winning. They won. They actually won. Some games that mattered this year. They actually won the Purdue game, and you get credit for finding a way to pull it out. Yeah, I, I guess with Kata, I, I guess it's kind of crazy to say they wouldn't have made the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't really think about Kata so much, though. Like Kata, I think Kata would have been what he was this year. Like you or I could have been coaching. I think he would have been, would have had a great season. Um, but for me, it's more about the guard play and what they were able to get out of C.J. Jackson and Andrew Dockage, two guys who aren't point guards and have limitations, but were good enough and at times like very good. And had some great games this year that I don't think I don't know if Thad Staff would have gotten that out of CJ in particular. Dockage wouldn't have even been here. It would have been Braxton Beverly, who's better than Dockage and played well for NC State. Um, but I don't know if they would have gotten the, what I don't know if the CJ we saw this year would have existed with the previous coaching staff. And you've talked about that before. Holtman's specialty is coaching point guards. Yeah. And he made two guys who are far from ideal point guards play really well at point guard this year. Yeah, and he also, like, he played, they played Kata Bates D up at the four and Jay Sean Tate at the three and even played Jay Sean at, the, at one sometimes. I also think that staff would not have done that. So, and that, that I think, Kata Bates D up is so good in the mid post area, and I don't know if he would have been in that position all that much if he was playing under the previous staff and playing more on the wing. Interesting. All right, final question, Robbie Strock at Robbie Strock. Who will be the emotional leader next year? Will the community rally around the program after an impressive first year? So do the second part first. 
What did you think of sort of the crowds you saw at the shot this year? And would you imagine? I know. I think they were pushing season tickets or something during this yeah, during, NCAA tournament run. Yeah. Do you think crowds will be better next year? And what did you think of the crowds this year? Crowds are certainly better toward the end of the year. I think like so they're playing two extra. Big Ten game, so we'll have an extra home Big Ten game as opposed to like one game against a crappy non-conference team. Um, the schedule plays a major factor in who shows up, I think, more so than it does at a lot of places. So it depends on who they line up to play. Um, they're not they're, Cincinnati's on the road. The ACC game is probably on the road. The Big East game, I don't know. UCLA is at a neutral site, so they'd probably get the if, if the ACC game's on the road, they'll probably get the Big East game here. I would imagine. I would think that's the case. Yeah. Um, I think I think you'll see like when the season rolls around next year. I think there'll be a little bit more of a buzz than there has been in years past. Um, even though there isn't a star at the moment to rally around, um, I do think I think Chris Holman carried a lot of favor with with Ohio State fans this year. Um, so yeah, I think I think the community, however you want to define that, will will rally around the program a little more than it has in years past. Um, it's just tough to say. Like I don't know. It's tough to say how many people are going to show up without knowing who they're going to be playing because I think that matters greatly. I said Thad Modish should coach at Creighton. Creighton's in the Big East. Yeah. What? They had to fill it up after they blew it up. Like they had to, they took anyone. If you have a, a a religious affiliation, they they took you basically. I was trying to think what Big East team we could get in Columbus next year, and I realized I only can name like four Big East teams: Xavier, Villanova, Seton Hall, Creighton, Providence, Marquette, Butler, Georgetown, St. John's, DePaul. They played Providence two years ago and beat them. Uh, Butler would be super cruel to Chris Holtman, so I could see that happening. Um, Xavier would be interesting, but they're already playing Cincinnati. They're already playing Cincinnati. That'd be really interesting. How about Georgetown? Georgetown Bring Patrick Ewing in here. They could play uh, play, uh, DePaul, the fighting Austin Grandstaffs. There you go. Um, All right, the last part for Robbie Strzok. I'm always fascinated by this kind of thing. When I was asking around about Jayshon Tate, is there anybody on this roster who could be the next Jay Sean Tate? Chris Holman was like, no. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty definitive no. <laughs> so who's the emotional leader next year? Is it CJ? Is he that kind of guy, or does it have to be someone else? No, I don't I, I don't think CJ's that guy. Um, Musa Jallo, I think, could be. He's really young, but I think he's he's he'll be 18 when the season starts next year, but he'll be a sophomore. He plays in a way that I think guys would feed off of. I just like it's a matter of does he have the personality that would want to take that on. I think he might. Um, I think Kyle Young might have a little bit of that. Um, Andre Wesson, I think, is probably a little too quiet for it. I think, again, plays hard and people respect that, but I don't know. Like, Jay Sean talked a lot and people responded to his talking. I don't know who that guy is. It could be like Luther Muhammad. I don't know. He's like a Jersey guy who might come in and just not shut up and maybe by the middle of the season he's the guy people are rallying around. I have no idea. But it's it's a big – it's a vacuum that, that doesn't have a, a clear answer. When David Lighty left, they spent years trying to figure out who the next David Lighty was. And I don't really think they figured it out until Aaron Kraft was, like, in his own way, I guess. Um, but but they didn't really find that guy until Jayshon got here. And it's just one of those guys that everybody – I think everybody likes them. Everybody respects them. Everybody fears them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, he's your friend. He's fun to hang around with. But you do not want him jumping you in practice. Because he thinks you're slacking off. And that guy will do that without having to be asked. And will do it very naturally. Um, I, it, it's hard. It's, it's it's why it's rare. It's why people yeah. talk about Jay Sean Tate the way they talked about Jay Sean Tate. It's why people still talk about David Lighty 
to this day. Uh, and it matters. And, and when you have it, it really helps your team. And when you don't have it, you you can survive without it, but you sort of notice that it's missing. So I think it's very likely that the answer is there is no answer. Yeah, and it's an interesting, and that'll make a difference. An interesting thing to think about too is like Jay Sean was very clearly number one in that area, but number two like might have been Andrew Dockage. Yeah. So I think it can be an outsider. It's kind of a delicate thing, but whoever they end up getting on the grad transfer market, I think could potentially be that guy. All right, so Bill Landis, congratulations on your fine season covering Ohio State basketball. Thank you. Twelve there in five seed. How many years is this for you? As the primary basketball writer for us? This was my third. Your third? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now we can start. So I covered two terrible years of the end of the Thad Mata era then this year. Yeah. Um, and now we can, uh, you can go back to writing uh, 30 football and football recruiting stories a week. Yeah. Offensive line interviews coming up. Whoop. Uh, follow him at BillLandis25. I'm at Douglay Maurice. That's all on Twitter. Drop a five-star review for Buckeye Talk, wherever you find the finest podcasts. Tim's here. He's showing up right now because we're going to finish this and go right into recording a new football Buckeye Talk. So this is the basketball Buckeye Talk. We're dropping it Tuesday. The normal Wednesday Buckeye Talk will be up on Wednesday, as usual. Tim will join us for that. But for now, thanks to you guys for listening. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Lane Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>